0: So some of y'all are, are aware, not everybody, but uh, in, my, in my first life, I worked as a mechanic. That's what I did, and, and that's how I uh, uh, worked and paid my way through college. And so uh, when Cindy and I, after we've been dating, we got married and everything, and I was uh, working on a car one day, and I don't, I don't really, I don't, don't remember what I was doing, but I was messing, messing with something, and Cindy said, well, let me, let me come out and help you. And, and I'm thinking... First off, I'm thinking, yeah, how much help is that going to be? Uh, but then she says, you know, I, I, know I, can, I don't know anything about the car, she said, but I can bring you the tools you need. I said, okay, so we go out there, so I'm working on stuff, and, and she did pretty good with stuff like screwdrivers, she, she knew what that was. But then, you know, when you get to like socket wrenches and feeler gauges and so forth and so on, she's going, okay, I don't know what that, what does that look like? What that so I'm, every time I'm asking for a tool, I'm having to describe it to her, or I'm having to come over and say, it's that. Or whatever. And I finally I said, baby, you know, really, I, I appreciate that you want to help me, but if every time you want to bring me something, I have to get up and show you what it is, that's not really working out so good for me. And she goes, well, how am I supposed to know what it is if I don't know what it looks like? Okay. And, and so, you know, how many of us, you know, we, we come through Easter and we have the big celebration, we have the big resurrection, uh, and, and, and then we no longer recognize Christ because we don't know what it looks like. Hmm. Let's pray. Mighty God, may the words of my mouth and may the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this story occurs on Easter Day. On that same day, Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now Emmaus, that that seven miles is about seven miles west of Jerusalem into the central highlands of uh, Israel and there's a, a picture that was done a number of years ago that was commissioned and when I first saw it the first time I saw that I thought it, it, it was uh, too green but actually if you're in that part of, the, of Israel it actually really does look it's very green like this so it really does look a lot like that and and and, and I've always hearing this story thought that well you know their, their eyes were kept from recognizing that they just didn't recognize them because you know they were upset or they were sad or, or whatever but uh, as I was doing research on this story uh, I discovered that uh, Eusebius of Caesarea writes in the late 200s, and he says, actually, you know, Cleopas is Clopas, and and that's Joseph's brother, that's Jesus' uncle, and the other person walking with him is Simeon, his son, Jesus' cousin, who's going to go on to be the second bishop of Jerusalem. So it's not just, you know, somebody walking along or somebody that knew him casually walking along, it's his family that's walking to Emmaus. And when Jesus comes and joins them, their eyes are kept from recognizing him. And and I have this image in my mind that that came that, uh, you know, as they were walking along, that that God kind of put his hand over their eyes uh, so they wouldn't recognize him until their hearts were really prepared to receive him and understand who he was. More to it than just sadness. I mean, God actually prevents them from recognizing him. And, And Jesus said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? And they replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. You hear that last sentence? We had hoped. You hear the past tense of that? We had hoped. We no longer have that hope. You hear that? I mean, they've lost hope. They no longer believe it's going to happen. They no longer expect it to happen. Um, You know, last Sunday is Easter Sunday. We have the great celebration of the resurrection. And, and, And then we come back the next week. And, you know, my question is, where's the other 800 people? We had hoped. We had hoped. We don't hope anymore. We come on Easter, we have our big celebration, we have all of our hope, we get all of our expectations up, then we go back out into the real world and, uh, and, and we lay down all that hope and expectation. And no longer are we looking for Christ to be with us. I and mean, We're right there with Clopas and Simeon on the road, aren't we? Walking along... Unable to see him because we no longer expect to see him. Then they confess some confusion about events that are occurring that morning. Besides all this, it's now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went out to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. And then Jesus said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. Now when he has that bit about interpreting all the scriptures, that reminds me of what Paul writes to us when he says all scriptures inspired by God and useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And when Paul writes this to uh, Timothy, you know, when he talks about scripture, he's talking about what we think of as the Old Testament because remember the New Testament hasn't been codified yet. So this is just the Old Testament scriptures and when Jesus is talking to Cleopas and Simeon he's talking about the Old Testament scriptures and he's saying go back and, and, and look at all of these passages going back to back to the very beginning back there with Moses and and all the people of Israel and, and how all of that pointed to the day of the crucifixion all those 93 prophecies that point to the day of crucifixion and how all that holds together you know all, all of scripture is really of, of one piece and when uh, John Wesley talked about that, he says, "You know, when you read Scripture, you know, you, you understand every piece of Scripture in terms of its relationship to the narrative of the whole book of all of it." You know, too too many of us, you know, we kind of like to just like have our favorite pieces that we like to read, and then we want to ignore the rest. Are we like just the New Testament, and we don't want to ignore the Old Testament? And what Paul refers to, and what Jesus refers to, is that old testament that so many of us don't even want to read because really you know you can't understand the new covenant until you understand the old covenant it's all of one piece it all holds together and and every piece of it needs to be understood in relationship to the rest of it and when you understand the whole narrative of scripture this whole massive story what you discover is it's eerily similar to each one of our individual stories you know creation and birth and innocence and fall and Redemption. I mean, those are themes that run through everything. It all holds together. And, and so Jesus takes them back and he says, Listen, you need to understand how all this, this holds together, all this pieces, how they all pointed to this day of the crucifixion before there could be a resurrection. So that they would understand intellectually what he was talking about. But even understanding that, they still could not recognize who he was. So as they came near to the village which they were going he walked as if he were going on but they urged him strongly saying stay with us because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. Uh, If you go over to Israel now you'll come to the village of Abu Ghosh which is one of the uh, which is the the location where this story takes place and you'll find this monastery. Uh, If you go in this uh, chapel uh, underneath the altar of it you'll come to the table where they shared the meal. Uh, they go to this place and they say, stay with us. It's, it's getting dark. You know, there's no street lights. There's no lighting. It's dangerous. You won't be able to find your way. And so out of hospitality, just out of common hospitality, they invite him to stay. They still do not realize at this point who it is they're speaking to. So when he's at the table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he, he went through that, that, that very uh, familiar ritual that he had done with them before uh, and, and that you know, it was recorded in the Gospels on the last night when he's sharing the Last Supper with them and in Paul's uh, version of it in 1 Corinthians where he relays the story. And, and that very familiar, you know, he takes the bread and he, and he blesses it, you know, blessed are you, O Lord God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth and then he breaks it and he gives it to them. And in that moment as he goes through that very familiar ritual and says those very familiar words, all of a sudden their their eyes are opened. It clicks, it comes together. And they recognize who it is, and, and then he vanishes from their sight. And they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? And that same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. I mean, it was one thing to know intellectually, (laughs) to understand the scriptures and have that kind of in in their head, but it was in the actual sharing of the meal that they met the presence of Christ that it became a reality to them and it was so powerful in the, the early church this became the central thing that they did whenever they came together was sharing together in Holy Communion it was the most important ritual that they held on to uh, and, and as they held on to that they, they tried to think of um, how do we describe this? I mean, how do we, how do we explain this to people, what's going on? And, and they came up with several different ways of talking about it. One was what we know as transubstantiation, which was that the, the bread actually uh, became the flesh of Christ and the, and the wine actually became the blood of Christ. And, and, and that understanding is still uh, actually formally the understanding of the Roman Catholic Church to this day. Uh, consubstantiation, which is that, well, not all the bread changed, but some of the particles of the bread become The body of Christ. Not all of the wine changes, but some of the particles of the wine become the blood of Christ, so that it it appears still to be like bread and wine, but actually embedded within that is a physical presence of of Christ, and that actually is the position of the Orthodox Church even to this day. And so, you know, you have that kind of understanding of it. And you had other people that said, well, actually, you know, the the bread and the wine don't change. It's just that, you know, this is a way of remembering what happened, and it's such a powerful memory that it comes to life for us. And, And then you had an understanding that said, well, you know, the bread and the wine don't change, but somehow... The very life of God comes to dwell in them and the presence of God in them. And that's the understanding that came across to the Church of England and that John Wesley carried on, that there's a very real presence of Christ. That when you take communion, you're not just, you know, eating a piece of bread and drinking some juice, but actually you are taking into yourself the very life of God. It's, it's the reason we handle the elements with, with respect and honor after we consecrate them in the service. And instead of, you know, like throwing the leftover bread away or pouring the, the juice down the drain, you know, you'll see us returning it to the earth uh, outside as if it actually was someone's body. Uh, out of respect and to honor that. That Christ is really present because they discover that He really was there with them in that meal. And that when they shared in it, they found that He really became part of who they were. It, was, it, wasn't no, it wasn't just an idea it's not just allegorically present you know or something I mean, it's, it's the very real presence of Christ in the meal their eyes are open and they recognized him and how many of us how many of us understand that at a deep and profound level so uh, you know I, I, I grew up in the church uh, I was taught scripture from the time I was young. My grandmother taught me scripture from the time I was young. Not always willingly on my part, but she did teach me uh, from time. So I, I had this in my head, and and I went to church when I was a kid, and 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 all. And so I've I've been doing communion since I was itty bitty. Uh, and, and you know, when you're young and you come to take communion, it, it, it's different uh, than when you get older and you have more understanding. You know, when you're little and you're in church, your parents are always telling you to do two things, right? And and one of them is to be still, and the other is to be quiet, right? At least my my, my parents were always telling me that. Telling me on that. They were telling me that. So so when we had communion in our little church in Victoria, you know that was a big deal because you know we could get up and walk around the sanctuary, and people talk to each other when they took communion in that little church. And you know we got to have refreshments. And you know, if you're a kid, that's a big deal, right? And, and our pastor at the time uh, was, was very gracious, and so if we had extra elements, he would even, even allow us kids to come back for seconds. Very cool. Very cool. We really liked that. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, we, we understood that we were, you know, kind of reenacting the Last Supper, but really for us, the main thing was we got to get up and do things that normally we couldn't do. We got to have refreshments. That was the big deal. And then, you know, you get into adolescence, and, you know, things change, and you become a lot more self-conscious, and... By this time, we've moved to Corpus, and we're in First Methodist Corpus with that huge cathedral uh, building, and every time I come down to take communion, being a self-conscious adolescent, what I'm really aware of when I come down here is that all the good-looking girls in the church are out there, right? And of course, you always assume they're all looking at you, right? I mean, who else would they be looking at, right? I mean, so so you're you're here, but your mind and your consciousness is all about, what do I look like out there? So it really wasn't until I got into high school that I really understood what was going on in communion, and uh, we were working at the HEB Foundation camp, doing a camp there, and a group of us were in the kitchen. That was our job for that week, and we were back scrubbing pots and pans and so forth all week long, doing all that kind of dirty work. And, uh, and toward the end of the week, um, Bill Hooth, who was the, the pastor out there, came back and said, When you guys get done tonight, I want you all to come down the river. I've got a surprise for you. So we got finished, got everything washed up, and kind of cleaned up ourselves and everything. And we, we went down the river. And at that time, there was a, a, a boulder in the middle of that river. It was about the size of a VW bus, as I remember it. And uh, Bill called us up on top. He'd put a ladder against the side, and we climbed up on top of that. And he had the cloth spread there, and had us sit down. And he began to share communion with us. And as he told the story of that first communion, and I was there for the first time, um, where you know I could really be present. You know, I wasn't thinking about what I had to do or what was still coming up. I wasn't aware of anything else going on. I wasn't conscious about who might be looking at us. We were all tired. Our defenses were down. And, and, and just really open to the moment. Um, all of a sudden, in, in the middle of that meal, I realized that you know I was seeing the hands of Christ serving the bread with the mark of the nails on them. And I was seeing the disciples around the table. And I, and I really understood for the first time that Jesus was really present when we broke the bread. And it's not been the same since then. I mean, I've, I've served communion on the mountains of, of New Mexico up beautiful views, and I've served it in the really rough parts of Robstown, Texas, where all we could find to do communion with was a hot dog bun and a grape knee high soda. Um, and, and I've done it with you know in the cathedral in Corpus Christi with all the gold and all the stuff and and, you know, none of that matters. What matters is that Christ is with us. In 1986, when I uh, did my walk to Emmaus uh, down in, and, uh, at the Shrine of San Juan down in the valley, um, I was, you know, in 86, I was like the youngest guy on the walk, okay? It was a long time ago. Uh, and so I'm down there and and we got toward the end of the walk and I'm listening to all these men who are you know decades older than me who are pillars of the church who are talking about this is the first time in my life I've ever actually experienced the love and the presence and the grace of God I'm thinking oh my gosh you've been leaders in the church for 70 years and you've never had this experience but it was the first time they were in a place where, where their defenses were down and where they weren't being self-conscious and they weren't worried about serving other people or ushering or doing any of the things they did. And they could just be there. I mean, how many of us, how many of us, how many of us, Jesus' family, how many of us walk through life with our eyes blind Because we've given up hope and we've given up expectation. Or because we've we've framed Scripture in our own understanding instead of listening to what God wants us to understand. Or because we put God in the box, we want to have God in the box in. And so we won't open our eyes. So this is the invitation I want to make to you this morning. One, if you've not done a walk to Emmaus, uh the the, some of the mass community are here uh they're going to have a a place out here in the connection corner and they'll be happy to tell you all about that and i invite you to come and do that there's a men's walk coming up in a couple of weeks from now and then a women's walk happening in the fall uh, and that i'm on the team for and some others are so um invite you to consider that and if you uh, find somebody see somebody with a lanyard around their neck you can pull them over and talk to them about what it was like for them but i also invite you this morning as you come to the table um Lay aside all of your preconceptions. Uh, Lay aside all your notions. Lay aside all your rationalizations about why this is a really great idea but it's not really real. Let hope spring up inside you. Look with expectation. Stop being focused on everything in the world and have your mind everywhere else and be present here. and have your eyes open that you might see Jesus with us let's pray open our eyes Lord we, we want to see Jesus <laughs> we want to reach out and, and, and touch him we want to tell him that we love him open our ears Lord Lord and teach us to listen to him in this moment, in this time. Open our eyes because we so want to see Jesus. Amen. But those assisting with communion, come forward.